When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. Uh, so once again, I'm, I'm sort of returning to the topic of this coronavirus. I mean, I use that term loosely. I, the truth of the matter is that, you know, the SARS epidemic, the MERS epidemic, those were both coronaviruses. Uh, there's actually pretty mundane coronaviruses that cause, you know, something that really amounts to, to you know, something like the common cold uh, that, that people catch fairly commonly. And of course, what I'm referring to is what's been dubbed thus far the 2019 NCOV, 2019 novel coronavirus. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, though, at this point when I say coronavirus. And the reason I'm talking about this is not only because of the pandemic risk that to some extent has already been realized around the world, but also because from a market and from an economic perspective, this is what will continue to drive the narrative for quite a while, uh, uh, quite quite a few weeks and maybe even months to come. And, and the reason for that is that you know we know from, from the early weeks and the early uh, month or two in uh, Wuhan, primarily in the, the province of, of Hubei, that this is a very easily spreadable disease. You know, the R naught, this the, you know, an average measure of how many people are infected by each infected individual, anywhere from two and a half to like three and a half, if not higher, under those conditions. That's pretty high. And of course, you know, China and and some other countries around the area, to some extent, have have put in pretty extraordinary measures, quarantines and lockdowns, martial law, basically. And obviously, people are going nuts for for buying uh, uh, to buy masks, surgical masks, face masks, and whatnot to slow the spread. And undoubtedly, that will help control. But the problem with that is we're still talking about you know most recent numbers out of out of uh, China. And this is not all the new cases, but um, we're talking about a, an additional nine hundred new cases. These are all confirmed. These aren't you know the the unconfirmed number, which is probably much, much higher, 42 new deaths. This is still, you know, there's still thousands of individuals, if not tens of thousands in China, maybe more, that are likely infected. And it's not just going to go away, right? Those, even with all these precautions put in place, that might only lower the R0 to 1. You know, even if it's lowers below 1 in some of these cities, meaning that, you know, overall the, the disease spread is, is going to decrease, the case count's going to decrease, you still have a case count. And the risk of this going, uh, becoming a, a broader pandemic like it has already in China, let's say, you know, we're, we're a couple months out, best case scenario, this is down, whittled down to a couple hundred cases. Well, guess what? That's still a huge risk. And you're still going to see precautions put in place. But that's obviously not the direction it's heading. The direction it's heading is more and more cases at this point in China and elsewhere. And that's has already, you know, really damaged to some extent market sentiment. And you'll see the economic uh, um, aspect of this as well. You know, you had Wilbur Ross uh, uh, from from the White House uh, today uh, giving an interview about this and, and what it means for the economy. And he made the uh, really misguided and, and very callous statement that this is somehow going to be good for the U.S. economy because this is going to drive more of those Chinese jobs back to the United States, which I don't think is true. I don't think at all. It Don't get me wrong. As some have said, you know, with this on top of the, the 
trade war, this could move jobs, factories, production outside of China. But believe me, with the current costs of labor and regulation we're not here in the United States, there, there's plenty, there's probably a half dozen better choices for those factories, for those jobs to move to before they come back to the United States. You have south of the border. You have Southeast Asia, probably a couple of countries there. I mean, even South Korea, you know, the Philippines, uh, plenty of other places to move production before they come back to the United States. But in reality, the economic impact of this is going to be very serious. Now, already you have economists that, who knows, may not appreciate the true scale of this and as well as just the, the, you know, what the timeline's looking at like here in, in terms of just how long this may take to get under control, if it is you know, brought under control. And of course, again, these are confirmed case uh, counts, and, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest, which I'll go into here in a minute, to, to suggest that, that that's nowhere near the, the true number of cases within China. Uh, but, but let's say it is relatively brought under control. Well, this is going to be several, several months into the future. And we're still talking about these precautions, which include travel bans, decreased travel, tourism and business travel to and from China and some of these other countries that are seeing an increased case count, uh, as well as just decreased economic activity in China. Economic activity that is unlikely to just be replaced. You know, let's say we miss out on three weeks worth of, of economic activity. You know, at at half of what it usually is. It's not that you know for the three weeks when this returns to normal that all of a sudden all that's going to come back. No, I mean you, we're seeing you know the the big headlines like Starbucks closing something like half of its stores in China, which is a lot. Uh, McDonald's, but but even just uh, I think it's Foxconn. You know, the big manufacturer of I, I want to say they make a lot of Apple products. Uh, you know, they, they're closing down production for a while, right? Because it's hard to run a factory. It's hard to, to run an office, you know, when, when you have pandemic fears within your country, and, and rightfully so. I mean, not just pandemic fears, but a, a pandemic, right? And so that type of decrease in economic activity, I mean, look at a city like Wuhan or the entire province of Hubei. You know, we're talking tens of millions of individuals that are on lockdown. They're in quarantine, that's bearish for economic growth. And that, I think, very well could and, and probably will send us into a recession. And that's still just best case scenario. That's still just best case scenario in terms of, of the ultimate outcomes of this pandemic, which is officially, uh, as of today, announced by the, the WHO, uh, uh, World Health Organization, is a, uh, a global pandemic emergency. I don't know the official terms. And it, it has to do with how they classify things and whatnot. And, and I think a lot of people that have been sounding the alarm on this for a week, week plus, you know, including myself, I think I maybe first picked up on this at some point last week. Uh, this, is, this is something that should have happened quite a while ago. And, and finally, they've come around today, which is great and all, but it still, you know, could be too little, too late on, on the whose behalf. You know, but but going back to this this case count thing, you know, there's this this argument argument about you know how many cases are there coming out of China because China obviously has clamped down on speech, uh, criticism of, of how they're handling it, uh, and, and stories, you know, coming out of the country in terms of, of how many cases there actually are. And there's a thousand and one reasons to to doubt the Communist Party and and their cronies and, and those at the top in terms of uh, how many cases there actually are, right? They did it back with SARS. You know, why wouldn't they be uh, basically 
lying to us once again about the true uh, number of, of cases, right? And so, you know, now as I speak, and this is very recent numbers, you know, Hubei updated their count. So we're over 9,000, you know, as these other provinces uh, trickle in. I mean, it's early morning still, very early morning in, in most of China, all of China. Uh, as these trickle in, we'll, you know, we'll be pushed closer and closer to, to 10,000 cases for today. Uh, so as those trickle in, you know, we have to ask, you know, is, is the truth, you know, 10,000 cases worldwide or is it closer to 100,000? In fact, there's a study, you know, and I have to find exactly where it was that, that they base this on it. I, I, I feel like I would have retweeted it or tweeted it out, but I, I can't find it for the life of me. In this moment, but essentially, what this study was saying is, it, is it was looking through these um, number of cases that were sent abroad, the ones that have been detected thus far. We're talking the ones, obviously, in the U.S., Japan, South Korea, Thailand, Vietnam, etc., Australia. Okay, and and you look at those, and and especially they're they're looking at the cases that were sent abroad, you know, a week ago. You know, roughly that that was around when the city of Wuhan was really beginning to be clamped down on air travel out of it was really beginning to be clamped down on. You know, at this point, air travel is basically just Chinese government travel or, you know, occasionally a country like the U.S. or or Turkey or whatever will fly in and and airlift their citizens out. Um, But it's otherwise pretty much non-existent at this point. Well, prior to that, it wasn't, you know, you still, you know, even when people are sounding the alarm and saying, look, this country's, the city in particular is rife with this infection, you know, you could still see flights coming out of there into other countries, including the United States and Australia. And so you see all these cases pop up and a lot of them have been identified. And, and basically what these researchers have said is, you know, if you're looking at this from a statistic perspective, what are the odds of this many cases being? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Exported, and by the way, they're probably not catching all the cases, but what are the odds of this many cases being exported given the official numbers. You know, back then, the official number of cases in, in the city of Wuhan was like in the hundreds, you know, maybe, you know, itching, inching up into the thousands, official, you know, over a thousand or over 2,000, when this really got clamped down on. I forget the exact numbers. Well, you look at what are the odds that they somehow exported, you know, 10, 15, 20 cases from that. You know, we're talking about a city not of like 20,000. We're talking to the city of upwards of 10 million Right? And so what are the odds of, of a couple hundred cases being exported to the United States? These were people that caught it when they were in Wuhan, not after they got to these other places. That, that's gone on as well. But, but people that caught it when they were in Wuhan, what are the odds that they somehow managed to export you know, however many of these cases from just that official case number? And so what they do is they say, well, we will look at this, you know, we'll run these models, fancy statistics that have to do with epidemiology and whatnot. They look at the amount of, of passengers and planes and whatnot that moved out of the city and out of the province during that time period. And they come up with a number that was much, much higher than that. And, and for the life of me, again, I can't find the exact uh, um, study, but we're talking thousands when they were reporting hundreds, right? Probably hundreds when they were reporting, you know, double digits, right? And so that's 
really important to understand. And so all of a sudden, you know, when, when researchers are, are looking at the R naught number of this, you know, two and a half or three and a half or whatever, well, it, it makes a huge difference when you're talking about, uh, you know, 100 cases versus 1,000 cases, right? One is going to lead to, you know, maybe 150 cases the next day. The other one's going to lead to like 1,500 cases the next day, you know, if we're talking a week, week plus ago in, in Wuhan, right? So this is kind of a big deal. And, and it really makes you wonder about the truth of what's going on in China and in some of these cities, just how many people are truly infected, right? And you wonder how much then, therefore, based on, on statistics of how many are probably infected in China, tens of thousands, if not well over 100,000 at this point, as many experts, I'm not alone in this, like plenty of people that are considered experts far smarter than I am on this topic are, are with me on this, that there's probably way more than 10,000 by, by you know a magnitude of 10, if not more. Well, then how many of those additional individuals made it out, right? And so we're looking at, you know, what, what you know, by the way, if you want to find, you know, updated numbers on this, you know, South China Morning Post, they, that's the big one of the big media organizations out of China, they have their case count update, whatnot, and, and they have it in a nice little graphic and whatnot. But actually where I've found has maybe some of the most up-to-date statistics is actually bnonews.com, right? You just bnonews.com, search, you know, whatever, Wuhan or coronavirus or whatever. Uh, we're looking actually officially 101 cases worldwide. Uh, in addition to... And this is where it gets tricky. 28 in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Macau, right? So Taiwan is, yeah, I'd consider it international, right? So over 100 cases worldwide. Uh, and, and they do update it pretty quickly based on when the actual reports come in. So how many of those cases have been missed coming out of these countries? And, and of course, now we have confirmation of human-to-human transmission outside of of China. We, we actually had it for a while now. I think the first place was either Thailand or Vietnam, but now we have it in the United States. We have it, I think, in Canada uh, and, and more of these places. I mean, and then you're seeing, you know, to some extent, travel being sh- clamped down or decreased. And you see, like, some of these airlines say, you know, we're going to cut our, our number of flights to China. But but a lot of it's just been demand related. <laughs> like, it's, it's not that they're, you know, some have done that. Some countries have done that. Um, I think Italy's kind of shutting that down. Um, but the United States hasn't yet. You know, Japan, to my knowledge, South Korea, uh, most of Southeast Asia, India, most of Europe hasn't shut down air travel. And you can look, you know, Flight Radar 24, I think that's the, the app that I use. You know, you can see a ton of planes still in the air flying around domestically and internationally. Plenty of ways for this to get out. And if we are truly talking about 100,000, 200,000, whatever number of cases in China, how many of those are getting out, right? Uh, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting thought experiment, right? And how many of those are being missed? You know, how long will it take before all of a sudden we see just kind of curious clusters of of uh, infected individuals pop up? Which initially, you know, it we don't see a clear connection to China here, and so they're not just naturally, you know, you're not just going to test every pneumonia case in the United States or every pneumonia case in Europe for the coronavirus, right? Very few are being tested at this point. And so how long will it be before you see clusters show up of pneumonia and then people realize, that, hey, this is this is the coronavirus. This is spreading far quicker than some other type of pneumonia. It's, it's striking a different population. It's causing more severe symptoms, right? So anyways, north of uh, 9,000 cases 
uh, over 200 deaths now. Uh, you know, we're looking at a a, a, uh, a death ratio of uh, or fatality ratio of a little over two percent. I still think that's extremely low um, because for, for two reasons. Yes, cases are. Uh, underreported. I think deaths are vastly underreported as well. In fact, you have a lot of evidence, firsthand accounts out of that, out of, out of China. You know, hospitals sending uh, patients straight to crematoriums versus uh, morgues uh, because they're overcrowded, or just because they want to hide the full extent of this. Uh, relatives saying that you know these these death certificates were not signed off on, and saying that this is uh, coronavirus, but just you know pneumonia or something else. Right? Who knows what else? Uh, plus, you know, we're we're having all these new cases come in, and and it can take a long time. Sounds callous, but a long time for these people to die once they're infected or once their symptoms have been detected and their confirmed case. You know, let's say that happens five days in or weekend after they were initially exposed to the pathogen, they might not another die for another week or two, right? And so the death rate looks low compared to SARS. It looks pretty high actually compared to the to the seasonal flu, uh, but but I suspect. That well, you know, as much as I'd love to say uh, it's inaccurate, and that I can give a good example. I, I, by the way, I wouldn't love to say that it's higher than two percent, but but I'd love to say that I could be confident in, in what it is. I can't because these numbers are so faulty, and it's just too early in the game, right? We can't really just like we couldn't calculate the full mortality rate for SARS back in early two thousands until it had kind of finished up. But but of course, this is, is far from that. It's already surpassed the SARS case count. In all reality, probably is reaching, if not has already surpassed the, the death count. And, and this has a long ways to go. You know, as one article put it, I think, uh, you know, yes, there's a chance that this could go worldwide and we could be talking about millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions infected. But even if it's not, even if this is slowed down, there's still a pretty high risk that this thing becomes the norm, because it's spread to so many areas, that it becomes, I don't know what's the right term, endemic, right? Much like the flu is for the summer months. And then we move back into the winter and you have a whole new pandemic risk on an annual basis. What does that mean for economic growth in places like China or whatever other country that this becomes endemic in? I don't know. But but again, just like I said, probably last week, you know, the best case scenario, maybe earlier this week, best case scenario at this point is a major recession, global recession because of this. And I'm very serious by that about that. This is I think the the effect, economic effect of this is not being fully appreciated. But again, that's just best case scenario. But I think, you know, the the worst case scenario or the more likely scenario is that we're gonna get that and then some in in the realm of, of you know global individuals infected, cases and of course, unfortunately, deaths. So as always, I, I hope you appreciate, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in, and God bless.